I'd like to start this morning actually with a quote, if I may. Uh, we're going to be looking at a few quotes today. This is from a debate that uh, took place in 1920. This is from the introduction. It had probably never been heard of 30 years ago. In the Church of Christ, such a thing has never been heard, was never heard of, excuse me, until perhaps 10 years ago. But like other innovations, it is growing fast. Every Christian will soon be called upon to take a stand for or against it. It is a serious perversion of the simple worship of the Nazarene. It ought to be fought as other innovations. Now is the time to do the fighting. If God's people bow to this innovation, it will be a great deal like the children of Israel bowing down to the golden calves set up by Jeroboam. Every age must be tried. Our trial is upon us now. Will we stand for God in the right, or will we do as so many did in regard to the organ 50 years ago? The future prosperity of the church and the salvation of many souls depend upon keeping this innovation out of the churches. Now, I edited one particular spot there to leave out uh, what uh, is being talked about here. Because if you look at this quote, if you look at this, this is the way that we sometimes have to deal with certain issues within the church, right? He rightly points out the organ, and he talks about the fact that in the mid-1800s, Brethren had to deal with that issue. There were brethren that wanted to embrace adding instrumental music to the worship. And in the same sense, you had splits uh, in the early 1900s concerning uh, missionary societies and things like that, different things, uh, uh, splits into the Christian church and things such as that. But let me tell you that what this person is talking about is precisely what we just did. Partaking of the Lord's Supper and using multiple cups to partake of the fruit of the vine. He is saying every Christian will soon be called to take a stand for or against the cups, plural. Now, I start with this to encourage us to think about this in such a way that we try to see what others are saying. The topic that was suggested was one cup. And we have brethren that believe that what we just did is wrong. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about why they think it's wrong. And we want to discuss why we can see in the scriptures, ultimately, that uh, it seems to me at least that uh, this emphasis upon the cup is not about an emphasis concerning an innovation. And we want to talk about that difference. What, what is an innovation? And what is what we might call an accessory to carrying out the commands of God? But, you know, it, it's interesting to see quotes like this. And you can go back and you can read uh, this debate. It's online, easy to find. Um, but, uh, and you can see the different stances, different ideas that were even back then. We'll talk about that a little bit more, but that's really what we want to discuss is the one cup. What are the merits of the one cup? What are we talking about here? Uh, again, this is something that has come up, uh, rather recently in terms of history up until really the 20th century, 
there really was no commentary. There was no idea that this was really necessarily a problem or an issue uh, in terms of using more than one cup. But again, we have brethren uh, in different places. Now, I want to say this too. I've never met a brother that I know of that holds this position. Maybe you have. Um, I don't see this as a huge problem taking away brethren. I'm going to explain why uh, later on. But let me suggest this as well. The fact that this issue has divided brethren in the past by itself is a reason why we ought to take a look at it and understand what's going on with this and look to the Bible for our answers. So first of all, we want to discuss the position itself. And we want to look at a few passages here. Matthew 26 and verse 27. Uh, you remember, again, we're just going to be reading some isolated verses here. But this is primarily the uh, passages that these brethren will look at in terms of making their point. In Matthew 26 and verse 27, says there, Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. So Matthew 26, 27 speaks about the cup. Uh, Mark chapter 14. Mark 14 and verse 23. Mark 14, 23. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. Luke 22. Luke 22. And verse 20. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. <coughs> 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Look at verse 21 as well. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Now, the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 25. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Notice in all of those passages, we are talking about a singular cup. It is one cup, as mentioned in those passages. And again, the the push of this position is that when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, only one cup is used. And we'll look at some other passages, of course, but uh, that is the, one of the main points that they do. The emphasis on this reading is on the singularity of the cup. In fact, you can imagine, brethren, saying Jesus took the cup, not cups, not plural, singular. 
Another point that is made sometimes is that early Christians seem to have used one cup. In the first and second centuries, we have early church fathers, as they're called. Uh, Ignatius is, is uh, quoted as saying, one loaf is broken for them all, and one cup is distributed among them. Justin Martyr quoted as saying, there is then brought to the president bread and a cup of wine. These are early church authors describing what happens within their uh, worship. Others are quoted uh, in the same way, Cyprian, Ambrose, Christosom, and Augustine. So they've got that point that they try to push, is that these early church fathers uh, uh, really push that. The multiple container tray, as we know it today, was invented by J.G. Thomas, uh, introduced, uh, invented about 1894, introduced among Churches of Christ by G.C. Brewer. Now these guys are what one cup brethren look at as very serious uh, uh, digression guys. Um, we really could look at them. I mean, w- w- at least as far as, for example, eschatology, we look at Schofield. I would say in much the same way. Uh, a lot of the uh, push toward premillennialism started with Schofield, and we could look back at that. But these are these are sort of some big uh, enemies for brethren that push for the one cup. Uh, initially, J.W. McGarvey and David Lipscomb opposed it. But over time, you actually see that change. You see later on, uh, they, they uh, really, you can see that McGarvey didn't oppose multiple cups as long as they were used by several different individuals. And he acknowledged that several, you know, larger congregations could use a dozen or so cups, but uh, he opposed the use of like 500 cups. So uh, be that as it may. Uh, another thing that they try to say in terms of this is that there are three elements of the Lord's Supper. And I, I, don't, I don't have this up there, but the big thing that, we, that, that they push here is that the bread represents Christ's body, the fruit of the vine represents Christ's blood, and a third element, the cup, represents the new covenant. And that's, what, that's sort of the, the idea that they're trying to shroud this in. Now let me say this as well when we're trying to go back and look at the church fathers to, to prove a point, um, that's kind of a problem sometimes. There's a lot of error that starts sometimes by looking at the church fathers sort of in a bubble, in a vacuum, and so we have to be careful about that. But this is essentially the position. I hope that I'm, I hope that I'm showing it accurately. Again, um, I've never spoken to a brother that believes this, but I've uh, sp- spoken to a number of, of brethren that have. <laughs> And, uh, and, and there, there are some more things that we'll, we'll note about uh, one-cup brethren and one-cup congregations in just a little bit. But we have to ask that question, right? This is something we, we don't need to just, if any kind of situation comes up, do we want our brethren who believe that, uh, you know, that, that fellowship halls are okay to use for common meals, do we want our brethren who believe that we can, donate, we can take money from the treasury and funnel it into church colleges, do we want them to just listen to us and say, oh, pff, they don't know what they're talking about? No, we want them to actually engage with us and study with us, right? So we have to ask ourselves in this case, is it lawful to use multiple cups? As absurd as that might sound in our minds sometimes, we might easily dismiss it in our minds Let's go back to the Bible. 
even in places where we may think we've got it figured out, we've got to go back and understand. I need book, chapter, and verse for everything I do and say and, and practice and teach. And so uh, the main point I would look at first is that really what we're talking about is the substance, not the container. That really would be, you know, if I were to interact with a brother who, who was one cup, that's really what I would look at. You ever heard of the term metonymy? I hadn't really until I looked at this lesson. Metonymy is defined as a figure of speech that consists of the use of the name of one object or concept for that of another to which it is related or of which it is a part. And so it's the idea that you're talking about one thing, but there's something else that's automatically associated with that. And so mentioning one, you may as well just mention the other or include the other. And there are some examples in the Bible of metonymy being used. For example, in Proverbs 12, 19, the truthful lip shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Are we talking about a lip being established? You know, if I'm speaking the truth, is my lip literally going to live forever? If, uh, if I have a lying tongue, is that, just, is that tongue going to be taken away after a moment? No, that's not literally what it's saying. It's talking about the truth of the falsehood considering the situation. Hosea 1 and verse 2. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. What are we talking about in terms of the land there? Did the literal physical ground commit harlotry against the Lord? No. But the land included the idea of the people, right? The land included the idea of the people. In Luke 16, verse 29, Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Do, 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 did they literally have Moses and the prophets with them? No, they didn't. But they had the law and the prophets. They had the scripture. And so mentioning Moses and the prophets, it's just as well that you mention the scripture in that same way. And so the point that I would make here is that when Jesus mentions the cup, he is including what is within the cup. And much more than that, the, symbology, the, the symbol uh, included with that. So that's really what, where we need to look at is that we're talking about the substance. What, what are we talking about with the cup then? The cup is useless without what it carries. For example, in uh, Matthew 10... In verse 42, these are other places where we see the term cup used. In Matthew 10 and verse 42, Jesus says there, whoever gives one of these little ones, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus says, whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Now, I know that the, the text itself says cup of cold water, but are you really helping someone if you just take a cup to them? I mean, maybe if they need a cup, that's fine. But, but is he even really talking about a cup of cold water here? He's talking about something greater, about help to somebody, giving, giving them help and really helping. And really doctrinally, that's what we're talking about, spiritual help. But the term cup here is not alone. The fact you know, it, it's useless except in what it carries. In uh, Mark chapter 10, look at what's said here. Mark 10 and verse 38. 
Mark 10 and verse 38. And consider what Jesus is saying here. Remember, James and John are asking, give, give us whatever we want. We want a place in your kingdom. And he says in verse 38, Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We're able. So Jesus said to them, Only indeed, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I baptize, I am baptized, you will be baptized. And we could go on there, but what cup is he talking about here? It's not a sharing of the cup. It's a sharing of the suffering. And in the same way, in Matthew 26, when we see Jesus in Gethsemane, he says there, O Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you will. In verse uh, 42 of the same chapter, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. It's the same cup as what he's talking about in Mark 10. It's the cup of suffering. But it's not about the cup itself. And the problem, I believe, that these brethren are coming to is that they're pushing for this contention regarding a container versus what is involved within the container. Back to Luke 22... Consider what's going on. Now I know what will typically happen. What I've what I've read is that the argument that these brethren make um, concerning what I'm about to say is that this is the Passover, but this is the institution of the Lord's Supper. He's he, this is the Passover meal, but Jesus is instituting something new. And when we look at Luke 22 and verse 17. He took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And we have to be careful here. Let me pause. We have to be careful here because we see in verse 17, we might easily say, well, see, divide it among yourselves. But again, the argument that, the, that many one-cut brethren can make is that this is, this is still the Passover. This is not the institution of the Lord's Supper yet. Now, that's a valid point. But the fact that he says, take this and divide it among yourselves, would that not still apply? Let's keep going. In verse 18, for I say to you, excuse me, yeah, verse 19, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood which is shed for you. Now, again, I would, I would ask, if he, ha if he says, divide it among yourselves in verse 17, why would he then say, drink from this same cup? There would not be any real point to that. The emphasis made upon the cup or the container of this and not the liquid itself, that's where we have the problem. And just as Jesus was to drink the cup of wrath, persecution, pain, and suffering, there was a sharing in this cup as well. But to make it the point that this contention has to be about one cup disregards what's plainly in the text as well as puts emphasis where the text doesn't put emphasis on. To say that the cup is this extra symbol. You see, when Jesus says in verse 20, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you, he's talking about the new covenant in my blood. And we know the fruit of the vine is symbolic of that blood that was shed for us. So that's what Jesus is talking about there. He's not talking about the cup. He's talking about the fact that this new covenant shares itself. The, the, it's manifested 
in these two symbols. Again, is it lawful in Christ to use multiple cups? Just a few other examples here. The Lord's Supper was instituted at the end of the Passover feast, right? Well, let's ask ourselves, what did the Jews do? Um, You can find online plenty of quotes about this, that it's been customary for the Jews to drink from at least four cups in the Passover. So even in terms of the Passover, you've got divided cups, you've got multiple cups being used. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here. But uh, if the one cup brother seeks to establish his point from the Passover meal, he has a serious textual and historical problem. And you're looking for something that really is not there. It's like you're chasing, uh, chasing things that aren't really there. Now let's understand this. The charge that these brethren will make is that this is an innovation upon what the Lord handed down. So the Lord drank from one cup, He expects us to drink from one cup as well. And what typically happens in these congregations is they will literally have one cup that will be passed down and through. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. But is that truly an innovation? What is an innovation? Well, what we mean by innovation is going beyond God's plan. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, Paul says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. So carried with it is that idea that we do not go beyond what God has handed to us. We cannot find a place outside of God's word to try to to push something into it. We don't add something that gets in the way of following God's commands. Now on the other point, we've got to recognize that an accessory, when we say that, it means something that helps us obey the command. In Matthew 28, 19, we've got the command to go and teach all nations. Go and baptize all nations, right? Go. Well, God doesn't tell us how to go. And so it's up to us to determine how we're going to go. He didn't specify how. And so we don't have to limit ourselves to what the, how the Christians went and taught in the first century. We can go in whatever way we want. We can go in a car, we can go in a bus, we can go in a plane. That's how we go. On the same point, Acts 20 and verse 7, Hebrews 10, 25, we have the example that the brethren came together on the first day of the week in Acts 20 to break bread. Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake the assembly of the saints. We're told to assemble. But God didn't tell us where to assemble. God didn't prescribe what kind of building to assemble in. And what, in fact, we can gain from that is that since God did not specify that, there must necessarily be a place for us to meet. And therefore, we have authority, for example, for a local congregation to rent a building, as we're doing here, to buy land and construct a building. That's where we get that authority from. We're supposed to assemble. We need a place to assemble. And so uh, we need to see that difference. Because what we have in terms of using multiple cups here, I think really falls under the idea of an accessory or an expedience to carrying out this command. And and I think that's really what we need to look at there. How is that an innovation? It's really hard-pressed for me to understand that. 
In the same sense, really here, cup becomes an almost incidental thing. And when we overemphasize that idea, we miss the point entirely. Well, let's talk about some typical features and what I would say some faults that we find with one cup congregations. Um, they have a variety among their belief. It's not like you've got this huge group of brethren that believe and teach and practice all the same things, even concerning the, the, the cup idea. The distinctions here, now I don't share this to say that variety among belief is necessarily a terrible thing in and of itself. There's a variety among brethren that, that we would call faithful, right? As far as what we believe and what we think from time to time, if it doesn't rise to that, to that level. But you see some distinctions. Most do not believe that uh, Bible classes or Sunday school are authorized, and so they don't have that. They don't have Bible uh, classes. Um, they will have distinctions between the idea that we uh, pinch off of one bread or we break the bread. It's the idea of, you know, do we serve out uh, uh, different pieces of the loaf versus the whole loaf itself and we break that off. Um, some will say we need to use unfermented fruit of the vine. Some will say we need to use fruit of the vine, or fermented fruit of the vine, the wine. Some will say that there's no exception for divorce, and some will say there's an exception for divorce. And so you've got all these different uh, things within what I would call a mi minority of brethren that probably are more of a minority than we are. I, I may be wrong about that. But we have to ask the point, ask the question, at what point can standing for the truth of God become needless and rebellious promotion or division? Are we really going to stand on something that really is not what the text is emphasizing and what the text is showing? We've got to be willing to ask that question, even of ourselves. Another thing we find is there's a typically no tolerance for disagreement. Uh, just about every group of brethren has their papers, right? Well, the uh, One Cup Brethren have the Old Pass Advocate and the Christian Courier. I believe the Christian Courier is still in uh, uh, production. You can actually find that online. Um, but the Old Pass Advocate back in February 1948, this is sort of a creed that they put together. It's a creed without really being a creed. But look at what's being said. Look at the way this is being phrased. Um, in February 1948, In the communion service there shall be but one cup or drinking vessel, from which all participants shall drink during any service as opposed to the use of two, three, four, or individual cups. But one loaf of unleavened bread shall be used, from which all participants shall break and eat as opposed to the official breaking of the loaf into two or more sections before being passed out to the participants. No preacher, teacher, or leader who is not in full agreement with the above-named principles shall be allowed to have any part or lot in the teaching, preaching, or leadership of said church. Well, Okay, I think that settles it. Can, can we see that this is something that, you know, I don't know of any brethren that have laid down something like that, that I know of in my lifetime, uh, as emphatically as that, over something to that effect. Really, we're talking about also an errant focus in terms of these brethren. Um, look at Matthew 15. We see people throughout the scriptures, of course, that don't seem to have the right idea. Just seem to be focusing on things that are almost extraneous. We see the scribes and Pharisees 
coming to Jesus in Matthew 15. And they ask him, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Uh, excuse me. They're asking, excuse me. In verse 2, they're asking Jesus, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Not washing their hands. And Jesus says in verse 3, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? And he goes on and he talks about the fact that they're keeping others from uh, doing good for their fathers and mothers by saying, oh, you've already given that to, to the temple. You, that, that's Corbin. And he says in verse 6, you have made the commandment of God of no, no effect by your tradition. He says, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I really want to say, um, you know, again, when you look, similar situations, right? Acts 15, 1 and 2, the Judaizing teachers that were teaching that one must be circumcised to be a Christian as well as be baptized. You've got to, you've got to hold on to the law as well. In uh, Colossians 2, let's take a look there. Colossians 2. And verse 20, obviously the brethren here had uh, uh, some kind of push, some kind of outward push to, to look at things uh, that were outside of the scriptures. In Colossians 2 and verse 20, Therefore, if you die with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. I would suggest that our one-cup brethren really fall within this concept, within this idea. I wish I could have this, uh, this concept that, you know, they've got this point and, you know, uh, I, I recognize I don't agree with them, but I think we can fellowship with them because, uh, you know, they're not doing anything wrong. But the act itself is not wrong, right? It's not wrong to just use one cup. But the fact that they make it this point of fellowship the fact that they push it to the point that I'm gonna I'm gonna push away from anybody that doesn't agree with me on this. We can be the same. And we need to understand that just because we may have a particular idea, a particular focus, or a particular thought from Scripture, we need to be careful. And before we share before we even share that with others. And before we try to promote that, and before we try to uh, uh, talk to others about it, we need to be secure in what we know. And we also need to be graceful and kind and merciful in these things. Make sure our convictions are directly from God's Word, and then we're not building doctrine where no doctrine exists. This is just some things for us to think of. So again, I, I would say that you know, you've got these differences within these congregations. In fact, I mean, there, there are a whole other things I, I saw. You know, some congregations will actually use two cups and they'll pass it from either side. Some, will, some believe that, that you can't do that. I uh, saw on uh, Facebook, I was talking to brethren about this at one point, and one preacher was saying that he knows of a brother that would say that if they took that one cup and got all the way 
through everybody and right before that last one they dropped it and spilled all the rest of the of the fruit of the vine or if the the glass broke that well they'd have to get another glass and fill it back up and start all over again that's how extreme uh some of the, this is how entrenched some of that doctrine gets and so the usefulness of this is for us of course to be ready right um Again, I, I've never met, I've never known of anybody that believed this, but they're out there. Um, and the interesting thing about this, too, is a, a brother that didn't preach too far from me in Pinson knows of a one-cup congregation close to him. And they hold to this one-cup doctrine, but at the same time, they have a fellowship hall they use for common meals. So, you know, it, it's interesting where we can have this Focus so much on this one thing. There's something else we miss along the way. We've got to be careful about that. But how do we interact with one cup brethren? Well, we need to remember, of course, that they are brethren. James 5, 19. If anyone amongst you, among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. We have to remember that they're brethren. These are brethren who believe and understand and teach the truth concerning Bible baptism, by and large, everything I've seen, they teach the truth about that. We need to know that as well, though, that they're misguided. Galatians 6 and verse 1 says, If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We also need to know that they're loved. 1 John 4, 7 through 8, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And in verse 11 of that same chapter, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's be patient with each other. Let's be patient with brethren like this that we find, that have these particular scruples and these particular thoughts. Let's point them to the Word. Um, I want to share a quote just to kind of finish this up here by Grover Stevens. He wrote a book concerning the Lord's Supper that opposes this doctrine of the one cup doctrine. And he says, the first Passover was observed with the blood of the sacrificed animal being placed on the doorposts. They ate the meat hurriedly while standing dressed for travel. However, other Passovers, including the one that Jesus ate before the instituting of the Lord's Supper, were observed with blood placed on the altar. They ate the Passover while reclined and unhurried while dressed in their best clothing. However, in spite of differences in detail, the essential elements of the Passover stayed the same. The Paschal Lamb, the unleavened bread, and the bitter herbs. That is the way it is with the Lord's Supper. The essential elements, the bread and the fruit of the vine, remain the same and commemorate the body and the blood of Jesus no matter what utensils are used to serve them. I just thought that was a good quote to use, well put. I know this lesson hasn't been specifically about salvation, but we want to extend to you that thought this morning. If you find yourself in a place where uh, you know that you're not right with God, whether you've never become a Christian or whether you are a Christian and there's something of a public nature you need to confess, or if you simply want the prayers of the brethren, we invite you to make that right while we stand and sing.